There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This Sunday marks the 70th anniversary of Gary Cooper winning the Best Actor Oscar for the classic Western High Noon, playing one of the American Film Institute's top five movie heroes in Marshall Will Kane. I spoke to Cooper's daughter, Maria Cooper Janice, about her father's most famous roles, including Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Meet John Doe, Sergeant York, The Pride of the Yankees, and of course, High Noon. Hey, Maria Cooper Janice, the one and only daughter of the great Hollywood icon, Gary Cooper. Um, And this month marks the 70th anniversary of your father winning uh, the Best Actor Oscar for High Noon. That was on March 19th, 1953 was the awards. Um, And it was his second uh, second Best Actor Oscar. Is it true? He, He didn't show up to accept the award, right? Didn't John Wayne have to accept on his behalf? Oh, well, uh, that's a, it's a, it's a funny story. Yes. Uh, he, he asked, uh, Duke Wayne to accept the award because he was on location. My father was on location in, in Mexico, um, doing a, a film and, um, uh, uh, it was a, it, it was a tight shooting schedule and, uh, he, he knew if he won that he wouldn't be able to, you know, make the thing. So, so he called Wayne, um, uh, and, um, uh, asked him to accept it for him, which was kind of ironic. I don't know if, if, if you uh, know much about the background history of all that, but, uh, but um, uh, Wayne was very, very, very angry and opposed to uh, my father doing the film because of uh, the wonderful writer, Carl Foreman, who was then having to cope with the Hollywood blacklist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he, he um, didn't. It was sort of an, a Maca- an allegory for McCarthyism. Right. And so that divided, you know, more left leaning and right leaning uh, Hollywood actors at the time. Absolutely. Yes. And and it was, um, as I say, my father had a particular kind of sense of humor, um, knowing some of the not <laughs> not too pleasant things Wayne said at the time that that was all happening. So uh, when my father knew that he was nominated and he knew he wouldn't be able to get away. He, he called up, uh, he called up Duke and he said, um, you know, da, 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 I won't be able to make it just in case I went, would you mind picking it up for me? And of course, Wayne said, yes. And um, you've probably seen the newsreel of, um, you know, the, the footage of, of Wayne very graciously accepting the award and then saying, well, blank, blank, blank. Why didn't my agent offer me this part? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was it was an all time iconic part. I mean, Marshall Will Kane. I mean, and for any younger younger listeners, maybe that haven't seen, it, you have to go watch High Noon. I mean, he oh, he returns from his honeymoon, you know, to stand alone against Frank Miller and his henchman who's coming in on the noon train. 
yeah. I, I love it. I love it. But and and there's that great shot by Fred Zinneman, the director, that rises up and sort of shows him out alone in the street, which sort of you know it sort of symbolizes your dad in that movie. Will Kane is like against uh, this. He he's he goes to everyone in the town in the church. He goes everywhere, and no one wants to help him, so he has to stand alone against these people. But talk about why why do you think that? I mean, is that why you think it endures? You know, just this one man standing up for what's right, even though, you know, everyone else, no one else no, will help I him. I mean, <laughs> I think if you want to talk about, well, it's interesting, allegorically, and also um, it is, uh, in essence, if I can say, it is it is so relevant in the message, quote unquote, that um, I don't know if, if you know this, um, a major producer has bought the rights and they're working on bringing High Noon to Broadway. Oh, that's awesome. Because they feel that the time is right to tell a story about one man who has moral principles and integrity and stands up for what is right. And um, even to the point of facing his own death. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that um, you know, we're, we're um, the, 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 the family, we, we, we're kind of calling ourselves the legacy family, I guess, but <laughs> uh, the, the daughter of Carl Foreman, um, the son of Fred Zinneman, the incredible director, Tim Zinneman, and myself, we're, we are sort of, um, let's say, the legacy family. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, um, we hope that, you know, if, if it's needed for our input or, to be helpful, we're we're certainly uh, want to see this come to life in the best possible way on the stage. You know? Wow, well, that's going to be exciting to see on Broadway, especially the fact that you know the screenwriter's daughter, the director's son, and the 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 lead actor's daughter yourself uh, that you're this legacy family all coming together to make it happen on Broadway. That's so 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 cool. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, on it'll be interesting to see how it plays out on stage because at least in the movie. Um, the way, you know, most movies can either, you know, condense or elongate, you know, cinematic time based on the yeah. editing. But what was so cool on screen was how Zinneman, um, as a director, how it all unfolded in real time, right? Where your dad is his character and the whole town's waiting, waiting for this noon train. And we are too. And there's always cutting up to see the clock ticking and, um, yeah. talk about, I mean, do you think that, that from a directorial standpoint, do you think that's why it was, it was so groundbreaking, you know, in addition to the story, just the way visually that it was conveyed that way was also freaking pioneering. I don't know if you can, if, if, if you could amputate any, any one, one element, um, you know, what, what, what made it work. Um, I think there were, there was, so many, uh, the writing was wonderful. The, the writing was minimal. I think the story ideas were, um, uh, were uh, critical and, 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 and what, um, what, what, what Foreman chose to tell. Um, and apparently his, his, his daughter, Amanda, um, who's a wonderful, wonderful major writer herself. She was, she was telling us that um, apparently um, one of the ideas was taken from a, a short story of Mark Twain. And um, there's a town in this short story, not Hadleyville, but it sounds somewhat like Hadleyville. And it's um, uh, the essence of the story is this town looks on the surface like a perfect little 
quiet, upright, upstanding community. And underneath it is, uh, you know, what crawls out from under the rock is cowardice, greed, um, violence, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of interesting, um, uh, the, whole, the whole background. We're, we're, we're going, I think, um, uh, Amanda Foreman, myself, and this excellent writer named Glenn Frankel. Uh, uh, do you know his name? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he wrote really the, the best definitive book about the making of High Noon. And, uh, you know, he goes into all the complexity of it. And uh, we're, we, we, we did a few lectures in, uh, in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I hope come the, come the spring, we'll be doing some, some panel, panel discussions and uh, Q&A. Um, hopefully, hopefully in Washington, hopefully in obviously New York here and uh, in, in, in some key places. That would be because, really cool. Because it is a very, it, it is an extremely relevant uh, story and and um, uh, a funny personal story. Um, my 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 best girlfriend at at, at the time there were, we were played and what it was in nineteen fifty three. So what age? Well, don't count. But anyway, it was in the, the the movie was fifty two and the Oscars yeah, was fifty three. And, and, yep. and the Oscars were fifty three. So my my uh, very close friend at the time was Pia Lindstrom, the daughter of Ingrid Bergman. Who, you know, my father did for whom the bell tolls with and um, Saratoga trunk. And um, Pia was over at our house uh, for a, a, a sleepover. And I remember very clearly we were sitting in my room on, on, on my bed watching the television, watching the Oscars. And uh, we were sitting right next to each other. And when my father's name was announced, I got so excited, of course, I, I sort of yelled and went whoopee and I flung my arms out. And of course, I, I hit Pia in the face. I was afraid that I'd knocked her teeth out because I was <laughs> I was so excited. And and at that point, I, I really I was I was just remembering when we were I was thinking about talking about this. Um, I remember the, the moment of of my father's getting the award. I was completely distraught that I had injured my best friend and you know knocked out a front tooth and I was more concerned about her than what they was what they were saying on television anyway <laughs> so you not you on Oscar night when your dad won for high noon you knocked out a tooth well I didn't <laughs> uh, almost I did. almost knocked out almost, a tooth. Ingrid, almost Bergman, Ingrid Bergman's daughter right yeah <laughs> That's insane. I love to hear when the kid, you know, what the kids were up to, because I know I always see, um, you know, Lloyd Bridges was in the movie and Jeff Bridges is, always talks about, you know, accompanying dad to set and being up in the barn and laughing oh, so much. They had to redo takes and all that. Isn't, stuff. It, isn't that that story of Jeff Bridges is terrific. <laughs> yeah, really I remember great. remember him sharing that on what was it? One of those, you know, American Film Institute countdowns. And I always thought that was cool. Um, well, speaking of which, the AFI ranked Marshall Kane, uh, one of its top five heroes of all time behind only. Atticus, Indiana Jones, James Bond, and Rick Blaine. I mean, that's that's big companies ahead of Clarice Starling and Rocky Balboa and Ellen Ripley and George Bailey and Lawrence yeah. of Arabia rounding out the top ten. I mean, that's he's in high. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the ultimate company right there. Um, gee, I hadn't seen that list. That that's 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 terrific. Yeah, they ran. Uh, it was been it's been a few years ago, so I'm sure it'd be a little a little different now. Uh, but yeah, AFI oh, okay. did the top hero characters, and it was mm -hmm. top, he's top five. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, I guess the only other element, well, not the only other element, but one other one we should talk about High Noon. Then I would love to go into, you know, some of your dad's other other great roles. But just, you know, since we're talking the anniversary of High Noon, um, we haven't mentioned the the music. Um, you know, not only Dimitri Tumpkin's amazing, you know, instrumental score, um, yeah. but but Tex Ritter singing, you know, the do not forsake me. Oh, my God. John Ritter's uh, yes. father. Right. Yes. Um yeah. Talk about how instrumental you think that music was, because I mean that it, it kicks in right in right in the opening yeah. credits, and it, it, I mean it carries us through the whole movie. Well, I think I think there's no question about it, and, and in fact, there was a, a fascinating interview over over the over the last two weeks. Um, Stephen Colbert was talking with um, Steven Spielberg and John Williams, and uh, they were speaking about the power of of, of music and the score in um, uh, making making a movie come together, and um, I tell you a, a story that I think I, th I think most people don't know. Uh, when I married uh, my husband Byron Janis, the, the great concert pianist, um, Byron, uh, the the best man at our wedding was uh, Byron's best friend at the time, wonderful Russian um, artist painter named Boris Shalyapin, and Boris was the son of the great. Russian singer Shalyapin. So, um, so, so Byron was explaining to Boris about High Noon and uh, this great music that Dmitry Tiomkin had written. And Boris said, "Well, how does this go?" And Byron played the few notes on the piano. And Boris said, "No, no." And Byron said, "What do you mean, no, no? <laughs> that's that's the song." He said, "Tiomkin didn't write that." And Byron said, yes, he did. He said, Boris said, no, he said, this is old Russian folk song. Whoa. And, he, and he proceeded to sing the song in Russian with the, with Russian words. Tiomkin, note for note, uh, uh, until the very end when he changed one note at the end. It is a, 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 Russian, a Russian folk song. Actually, Tiomkin was um, Ukrainian. Whoa! Talk about t uh, parallels to what's going on in the world now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Is it, is, Holy is, crap! Is, well, thanks is, for that tidbit. And yeah, thanks. I guess through your musician husband, you have a whole new appreciation for the music. Um, and where it's sort of maybe the the roots, the folk song roots of where Tiomkin. Maybe that was just embedded in Dimitri Tiomkin's head, and he didn't even maybe he didn't even know that he was sort of riffing on that. <laughs> oh, it may have been. It may have been totally subconscious. It may have been something he was, you know, singing as 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 a kid. Who knows? Wow. But wow. Um, but yeah, I but love how then, I just love how it sort of ramps up as you know as the noon trains and the editing's getting faster and it's dun 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 like it really builds. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 building. Uh, John 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 Williams was speaking about that aspect uh, when they were discussing the score for for Jaws, and he was he was speaking about the importance of music and rhythm and timing and tempo and and how that brings brings the living breathing life of the film to a whole new level when you add the oral sound Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is awesome. Well, I mean, we I would love to I mean, we can get more into high noon in a minute if we have time, but I would love to um 
uh, take a step back and, and, and hear how you're, you know, you're sort of a chronological through some of the other big roles that I loved of your, of your father's. I know he was born in Montana in 1901, but do you, how do you, uh, obviously you weren't alive yet, but how did, you know, I'm sure you heard <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you, uh, you know, but I'm sure you've heard this story passed down through your family. So like, how did he make his way from Montana to, to Hollywood for those, for those early roles? And I know he had like a small part in the first best picture wings in 27, but like, you know, how, how did he make yeah. his way from, from the big sky? of Montana to glitzy Hollywood. Well, he was he was going to um, Grinnell uh, College, actually, in uh, Iowa. And um, uh, the, the little funny, funny side note is that um, he tried out for the acting class because he kind of had had a crush on one of the young girls who was um, also in the acting class and um, they turned him down. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, um, anyway, uh, in fact, many, many years later, he went back and visited Grinnell and um, uh, they, they, they were sort of, oh, Mr. Cooper was so embarrassed, you know, that to, 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 to think that so many years ago, you know, you were rejected. And, and he, he laughed. He said, no, he said, I think you were right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's, I love hearing those stories. But, about. Um, they didn't but, think he had it, but of course. No, 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 uh, they didn't think he had it. But but he was uh, he, he was interested. Actually, he started out. He was a very good artist. He, very, he, he drew, drew and painted quite well. And he started out really uh, drawing um, political cartoons for the some of the local local newspapers. And um, I think. Uh, the truth be told, he he really, as I say, he he did have a crush on this uh, one girl at Grinnell, and uh, she went to Hollywood uh, to try to make a career, which obviously never happened. But uh, he went out there and sort of hung out, and then he hung out with his with his um, uh, some of the the cowboy friends of his from Montana, who were uh, working as extras in these little you know one and two reeler films that, that, that they were cranking out. And um, one of his buddies said, listen, because he was, he, he, he was very short on cash. Um, political cartoons and selling encyclopedias wasn't really putting much bread on the table. <laughs> um, but um, one of his old cowboy buddies said, listen, this, this, this new business called the motion picture business, um, he said, we make five bucks a fall, falling off a horse in front of a camera. Um, you know, why don't you come down to wherever it was, Van Nuys Boulevard and something, which was, it, it was all, you know, open fields at that point. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what he did. And um, you made, you made $10 if you, if you threw yourself off, off the horse and made the horse fall. But that's, that's another, <laughs> that's another <laughs> story but um but anyway he, he did that and um some in, in in looking at some of the footage uh, a few a producer or two noticed hey who, who's this good looking guy you know with with uh, dust and mud on his face but um but he was he was spotted really by accident like that and um uh, some director said oh well let's let's um, let's stick him in some whatever the silent movie was that they were working on. And uh, that, that was kind of the beginning. And uh, of course his name was Frank James Cooper, Frank James at that point. And um, when it became clear that he was 
probably was going to have a career, um, they were upset by his name because apparently there was a very, very notorious uh, outlaw in the East named Frank James. <laughs> and they they didn't think that he should use that name. It's and, not Jesse um, James. Go on. I didn't know there was a Frank James. Jesse James, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but the um, the woman who was, a, who, was, who was the head of wardrobe at um, the studio said um, when she was fitting him out for whatever, um, she said, well, I'm from Gary, Indiana. Isn't Gary mm. a nice name? Mm. And that's so how that's he, where it came from. That's wow. Came from. So Gary Cooper is based on it's cut from Gary, Indiana. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I always love to hear how the big stars, you know, got broke in the business. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. And I mentioned he was in a small part in Wings, but then in the, another early role was um, in, in with Marlene Dietrich in, in Morocco in 1930, mm-hmm. which was Joseph von Sternberg, who also made like the Blue Angel the same year, I think, in, in German. So uh, it was sort right. of like I always viewed it sort of as the same, <laughs> sort of the same movie, uh, but for different parts of the world. But, uh, you know, a, a big early role. Did, did he ever your dad ever share any f- fond memories of that? That was one of his first big, big leading roles, I think. Um. No, I never. No, he never talked that 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 much about it. I I I think um, um, he and he and Dietrich were a good on on screen couple. Um, never, they were never an off screen couple. <laughs> put it that way. Right, right. But it helped it helped boost boost the the on screen credits for sure. But the first, I guess the first big Oscar nomination that your that, that your father received was of course with Frank Capra and Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, nineteen thirty-six. Obviously yeah. it was remade in recent years. Listeners might remember the Adam Sandler version, but you gotta go back and watch the Capra version. It is a masterpiece. Capra had just won Best Picture a couple years early with it happened one night. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm sure your dad, I mean, playing playing that role must have been so much fun. But did your dad ever share any good memories of, of working with with Capra, either on that or, or with or with Meet John Doe, they did that in what a couple years after. But and yeah, any memories from from with the Capra days on those two? I mean, I was I was best friends, you know, very young at that point with uh, Frank Frank's daughter uh, Lucille, because we 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 lived actually. Uh, it was funny, we lived really one block apart, and those were the early days in in Brentwood, where the the blocks were very big because there was just open fields but um the houses were one block apart um, um uh, lucille's mother and my mother were one room apart in the good samaritan hospital because lucille was born um one day after i was born so this 37 so this would have been right yeah. after mr deeds was filmed yeah. yeah yeah so um the capras and the coopers were were very very close and i know they hung, hung out together a, a lot and and um, um but i was not um you know i wasn't conscious at that point 
Oh, that's okay. Well, if, even if you don't have memories of it, but like in hindsight, I'm sure you've watched the movies many times oh over goodness. the years. But yeah, oh, what, yeah, so what are your what are your reflections on on them as movie movies? You know, as Cap- Capra had that 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 magical touch in Mr. Deeds and, and Meet John Doe. It must be just so wonderful to watch your father on screen with that Capra magic. Ab- 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 absolutely, and every every time I see it, I tend to get get teary. I mean, it's it's you know they're 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 brilliant films and and. Um, uh, do you think if those films were made today, they would have an audience? I mean, new on the screen, you know, um, or, or do you think the public has become so, um, I don't know jaded, what the word is. Cynical? <laughs> jaded, yeah, 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 jaded, cynical, um, that it, it would have a popularity uh, or, or would it, would, would those two pictures touch the hearts of the audience of the movie going audience? Maybe, maybe the streaming audience now. I mean, I know the, the industry is just changing daily, you know, with, with, uh, with, with, with technology and, and all of that. Um, I just, I, 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 I wonder, I mean, because again, those are, those are both films, which, um, you know, they show the, the frailty of human of of man, men, and women, but um, but they're also they show the greed, they show the ugliness, and then they show the hope, and they and and they show um, a conclusion that good will will win out eventually. Absolutely, and, yeah. Um, and I think it's I think it's hard today in 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 this in in the era of such violence and gratuitous violence in 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 films i i find very upsetting i mean um and i think it it um i think it almost brainwashes the movie going audience because all all you react to is uh explosions and mayhem and um uh, you know, violent thinking, violent actions. And then we, see, I don't know. And then we see violence. And, and then we see violence in real life um, as a cause. Of, I guess it's chicken in the yeah. egg, but you know, it, but it's a definite argument you could make for sure. And I, I would like to think that those movies would still, because I love them. But I'm an old school kind of a old soul, and I, I love those Capra movies. Everyone knows, everyone knows and loves. It's a Wonderful Life. Obviously, it's a, it's a annual tradition. It's but I want, I want it's, folks it's a to classic. say again. I said it's a classic. It's a oh, it totally yeah. is. But I so if if our listeners love that and watch that with their families every Christmas, Thanksgiving, I, I I implore them to go back and watch, you know, Meet John Doe, which is also on a Christmas Eve. Except in this case, I guess it's a fictional guy going to commit suicide that <laughs> the newspaper made up, and then your dad sort of plays yeah. the the part of that. But um, go back and watch Mr. Deeds and Meet John Doe with Gary Cooper. Cooper Capra was was magic together. I thought Cooper Capra um, was a was a tri- it was a, a tremendous team. It really, really was um, right up there with with Capra um, Stewart, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you, interesting segue then. You mentioned sort of violence in movies and things. Um, that sort of is a great segue to your dad's second Oscar nod uh, and his first win uh, for Sergeant York for 1941 with Howard Hawks. Um, because I, I say it's a segue because it was so much about um, the, the character's, you know, pacifism dur- during World War One, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to join, but ultimately does. And it's so cool how, you know, his his um 
you know, backwoods turkey calls come into play <laughs> and then yep. it gets the turkey to pop up and shoot him out in the woods. But then he does the same thing and gets the uh, Germans to pop their heads up you know, on the battlefield. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, talk about why, why you think um, why you think your dad deserved to win for Sergeant York and why you think that still holds up in this sort of violent pacifist conversation we're having right now. Well, I, I think I think there's a point in every young person's life when um, they kind of make an inner choice about um, the kind of person they are or the kind of person they want to be. And I think, um, I think that Alvin York was um, a tremendous example of, of someone who was, you know, uh, struggling with his own convictions about right and wrong and what was right for him to do or what was wrong for him to do and, and behave. Um, uh, I think um, for the greater good, he, he chose to do what, what seemed to be maybe against his own principles, but um, uh, you know, um, he didn't, he didn't relish, he didn't, didn't relish. I, I, I'm, I'm jumping backward, but again, uh, a very close friend of ours taught film at Fordham University, and um, he did he did comparisons um, with films. He would have have the students, you know, look at, at different videos, and then that would be the class. And I and I asked my friend if I could come and sit as a, a fly on the wall in the classroom. So, and these were sophomore junior at, at, at Fordham. And uh, so the, the class assignment was to compare High Noon, Shane, and The Unforgiven. Oh, wow. And the conversation was really, really interesting. But what really shocked me, I must say, I almost stood up and made a, <laughs> a scene, but I didn't. But anyway, <laughs> um, when they were discussing High Noon, um, uh, a I would say half of the kids in the class had the following reaction. And I'm, I'm going to quote three examples, mm -hmm. but um, the one, uh, one comment was uh, he got off on killing. So what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. uh, the sheriff, wow. the marshal, um, uh, he was stupid to go back to town. Why didn't he just keep on going? He just married. He, he, he just could have, you know, kept yeah. on going. Got Grace he, Kelly. Why don't you just ride off? No, yeah, he's got to yeah, turn yeah. around. <laughs> right off. And, um, you know, forgetting the fact that uh, they're in a one horse buckboard and they're four angry guys just, you know, released from jail who were, could overtake them in two minutes and, and mow them down. You know, that was everything. Um, but, and he was, he was selfish to ask the townspeople to help him. Hmm. I mean, the, and those, fascinating, those three I mean, varied reactions, those, those three reactions that at, at, at that point, our, 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 our friend, Mayor Ribble, or the, the teacher, um, he said, are you telling me if there are four guys down in the quad with guns and they're after you, and we're up here in the classroom, you're not going to ask all of us to help you get out of this, you know, mess. <laughs> oh well, uh, yeah, mm, you know. So the 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 mindset of some of the younger generation. I mean, that they all did not have that reaction. 
optim obviously, but um, but but there was enough of not getting the real reason, the, whole point. the real yeah. meaning um, that was 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 quite appalling to me. But wow, that's um, funny, and I'm curious. I'm curious how they would react to you know, a pacifist message like Sergeant York, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. It's funny how people react over time. Mm. Um, well, re real quick, I do want to mention, cause it's arguably my, I don't, it's hard to pick favorite roles of your dad, but that third Oscar nomination for pride of the Yankees in 42, um, Sam Wood directed, um, mm. your dad was just, not I. I thought he actually even looked a little like Lou Gehrig. It was like he, ear. It was eerie how you know what he said. He looked. Uh, know. He looked. You know. He he didn't look like Lou Gehrig, and he did look like him. Um, right. Right. My husband's a huge baseball fan, and um, um, we uh, spent some time last summer um, at a few Yankee games, and in uh, in 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 walking down one of the the, the, the corridors, there were great huge 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 blow-ups of of all all the great yankee players of the past and there are several pictures of lou gehrig and i was walking by one and i absolutely did a triple take because <laughs> i thought it was my father and then when i walked by and i, I backed up and i looked at it, no of course it's lou gehrig but 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 there was an essence about him that um um was was gary cooper was able to capture and um um, I know it was, it, it, it was very moving for my father. Um, he was, he was invited to go over to join the, uh, motion picture industry members who were sent to the South Pacific to entertain the troops during the war. And, um, you know, Bob Hope and, you know, uh, Betty Grable and all that. And my father was really, really nervous because he said, look, what the, I, I you know I don't tell jokes. I don't dance. Right. <laughs> um, and um, uh, the 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 captain, when he was out on one of the bases, the captain said, you know, my father said, what the hell am I going to say? You know, standing in front of a group of 2000 uh, men and women who were in uniform, ready to go off the next day to who who knows who many would come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the captain said, Coop, the guys want to hear you, would love to hear you give the Lou Gehrig speech, the, the, the famous speech. I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. So I have a wonderful photograph of my father sitting in a tent. And the, the, the rain is pouring down uh, and he's trying to scribble from memory on a piece of paper um, the speech. So, um, so that's, that's what he did. And he ended up giving that, that little talk at every one of the places where they, uh, where they did the show, because oh, wow. um, all of the men and women all in the, in the, in, in the audience, uh, they all related to it and they all, they all wanted to um, have those those words of Lou Gehrig um, sort of in their in their hearts.
Wow. Yeah. And people, and people forget Lou Gehrig had just died um, that previous year in 41. The movie comes out in 42. So they're based and Babe Ruth is actually in the movie, his old Yankee teammates in the yes, actual movie. Yes, um, yeah. So people forget how fresh of a wound that was when the, you know, it'd almost be like if they made, you know, Wakanda forever with Chadwick Boseman. I mean, he just passed away um, yeah. at the time, you know? And so um it's when your dad says, you know, it's three strikes, Doc. I mean, it, it, it we're crying. And I can only imagine yeah. back then how much audiences were crying. Yeah. Yep. It was um, was a, it was an amazing movie. And, and, and of course, my father, um, he was not a lefty. He was right handed. So he had uh, he was he was uh, taking some vacation time in, in Sun Valley, Idaho, prior to beginning to filming. And, and, and they sent they sent Bill Dickey out to Sun Valley to sort of coach him. And um, uh, and it's it, it's interesting the 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 way one of the ways that they coached my father in uh, uh, getting him to to pitch the right way, he said, um, "Coop," he said, "Go out and swing an axe and chop down some trees." <laughs> so that that motion of swinging an axe to chop down a tree was the kind of motion he needed to to build up his his pitching arm <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't have to reverse the footage because he swang the wrong way well they actually <laughs> i did. thought they did <laughs> they 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 uh did reverse the, the footage uh uh in 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 some instances yeah yeah that's um, what i thought well you know what ray Liotta was was the wrong hand as shoeless joe and we none of us care it's a magical feudal dreams is magical so i i, don't, I think we can overlook that slight slight thing because your oh, dad yeah, totally yeah. was was yeah. lou gehrig and in this area you know we're this is near baltimore i grew up an oriole fan and you know so when cal oh, ripkin yeah. broke uh lou gehrig's streak i mean lou gehrig is like held in high high esteem here so um yeah, pride of the yankees is, is an all-timer that um, is, is wonderful. Absolutely. Well, I know we're a little short on time, um, but just to, to round it out there, you're, we'll tell everyone your dad reunited with Sam Wood and got a fourth Oscar nod for the Hemingway adaptation for whom the bell tolls. You mentioned that earlier. And I know he, yeah. he was he became close friends with Hemingway and, and Picasso, for that matter. Right. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Two very different people. But, um, um, you know, my father and Hemingway were extremely close, very, very close, I think. I think Ernest was one of the last people my father spoke to on the on on the phone when he was extremely ill, um, and um, uh, I think my father's death af affected Hemingway a lot. Um, and uh, uh, Picasso, <laughs> Picasso was a character, and uh, we had a couple of wonderful visits. And of course, my father brought him a six shooter with um, uh, couldn't do it today, but you know. He brought the gun in, in in one suitcase, and he and he and he he put a bunch of pistols in one of his socks and stuffed it inside his shoe in in, in another suitcase. So, <laughs> so when we arrived in in the uh, in the south of France um, and got together, uh, Picasso and my father went out into the garden and they and and and, and they put up some empty empty um, paint cans on a on a stone wall, yeah. and they were doing tar uh, target practice uh, and um, to show you a little example of my father's character, Picasso was a horrible shot. He was terrible. <laughs> the bullets were going all over the place. I mean, his, his, his wife and my mother and I, and 
she scooped up the dogs. We were all hiding behind Picasso sculptures because the <laughs> Picasso was shooting. But but my father, who was a you know a, a dead eye shot. I mean, he was he was incredible. Um, he didn't want to show up Picasso, so my father deliberately missed. Oh, that's great. See, he could have done the, the he could have done the and turkey call, but he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, Zoom, Zoom is going to kick us off. But okay. um, the fifth Oscar nomination comes after that for High Noon. We touched on that ton at the top. But everyone also, I think your dad made one final great Western, Anthony Mann's Man of the West in 58. If you yeah. haven't seen that, go back and check that out, yep. too. But uh, Maria Cooper Janice, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.